Welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball Extra. I'm your host, Matt Herman. And as we are finding ourselves in an international break of time to sort of step back, take stock, think about things other than the day-to-day grind of football, I wanted to call up somebody who I know is of that mind as well. Somebody who not only thinks about football in an interesting and sort of holistic way, but somebody who, you know, from following him on Twitter over the years, I know has plenty of interests outside of football. You know, things like philosophy, chess, and other intellectual pursuits. When I found out he was an SC Freiburg fan, I thought it would be a really interesting time to talk with him about the club that he has become attached to, talk with him about the success that they're having right now in the Bundesliga, as well as the success that they've had over the years in the Bundesliga, and how the club is reflective of the city that they're from, and so on. His name is John McKenzie. I think He is well worth a follow on Twitter. You'll find him at at John, J-O-N underscore McKenzie, M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. And I started off by asking him among all the interests that he has displayed on social media and elsewhere, Leeds United, philosophy, football analytics, how it is he became attached to SC Freiburg? It's a good question, actually, because I think people are increasingly aware of the fact that I am a Freibo fan, uh, which is good, I think. It's it's nice to have, have that string to my bow, but back in 2015 or whenever, when I was first getting into the football journalism side of things, I was recommended that I would, or I should have a another league that I'm focusing on, which I think is a fairly standard piece of advice. I'm not sure whether or not it's necessarily useful, but, and I, being a lover of of, of, of all things Germanic, settled on the Bundesliga, which I, I, has, I sort of had been, I had an eye on it anyway, and decided, well, you know, I'll, I'll get into the, the, the Bundesliga. I started writing quite a bit about the Bundesliga, and actually, at first, I had a sort of soft spot for Borussia Mönchengladbach, largely because of the, the rivalry they had with Bayern Munich, and, and I'm a, a big hater of, cl- of clubs in leagues that are the, the sort of the, the big, bad, dominant clubs. And so I sort of roughly followed them on and off and and sort of kept up with what they were doing. But interestingly, back in 2018, I think it was now, my girlfriend at the time, um, we'd been watching a lot of Bundesliga. She was really into, dare I say, RB Leipzig at the time. And was really into, of all people, Naby Keita. Uh, and she is a Liverpool fan. So she she got her, her, her dreams came true in that she now no longer dates me and she uh, also has Naby Keita at her club. But we decided that we were going to go across and try and watch a game of Bundesliga football. And I had a friend who lived in Freiburg and we managed to get tickets on a very cold January to see Freiburg versus RB Leipzig. So that was that was sort of how it happened. It was sort of it was a logistic thing where I could get there quite easily. Um, we had accommodation if we wanted to get there, and 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 Naby Keita was playing. Anyway, we turned up on this cold January afternoon. It was very cloudy. Naby Keita didn't play, which is hilarious. And Freiburg one two one. And I got to see Yannick Haber and Robin Koch, who now plays for Leeds United, score. So um, lots of lots of fun players on that pitch. J- JKA, Jean-Kevin Augustin played in that game and obviously went to Leeds and then never played for Leeds. Um, there was lots of lots of fun fun players on that pitch. Players like Chala Suyuncu, who's now in the Premier League, Mark Oliver Kempf, who obviously made his name elsewhere, uh, along with players like Pascal Stenzel. Um, but then the, the, some of the players who went on and still are 
great players for, for Freiburg, like Christian Gunter, Lukas Hurler, Niels Pedersen, um, players like that. So yeah, really fell in love with, with the, the club that day. And in the days preceding and following that, that game, really fell in love with the place as well. So that was how I ended up almost being thrown into Freiburg fandom. So yeah, a fairly interesting story, I think. I reckon so. I think everybody has a, a good origin story about that first match that they went to for the club that, that sort of won their heart. What I don't know very much about, and I, I will admit this, even though I lived in Germany for the better part of 12 years, I've never been to Freiburg. I have never been to that particular corner of, of Baden-Württemberg. I now live in, in Madison, Wisconsin, which is, oddly enough, it's a twin city of, of Freiburg, and there's sort of a, you know... Uh, a connection there. I think there, there's like a lot of students at the University of Wisconsin Madison, where I teach, who go there on an exchange. I feel like maybe the opportunity will will present itself one day. But people who are connected to that place, and I knew some folks uh, when I lived in Germany who had studied there, they just gush about what a special place it is, and I don't know why. Why is it? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a good question, and you know, I don't think I ever would have ended up visiting the place had it not been for the sort of happenstance that we managed to get tickets for that game. And I'm the same. I'm I'm not the sort of person I think who really gushes about places, but there's something about Freiburg that's that's just different uh, to other places. I've been to various cities around Germany, mainly mainly in the northwest and the and the Midwest, but Freiburg just it's, it's almost I don't want to say fairy tale because that's one cliche and two. I don't think that's true but it is very remote it is it's obviously right in the southwest corner of the country it's smack bang in the middle of the of the black forest it's pretty isolated and it's right at that juncture of of switzerland and and france as well that makes it feel like it, it, it is a relative cultural melting pot and it was just yeah i think that the, there's something about the the community around that part of germany that that is really interesting to me um so the old uh, dreisam stadion which is the, the the stadium that freiburg have just moved out of i think it has something like twenty two thousand capacity and the city of freiburg i think in 2016 was uh, censored as, as having like two hundred thirty thousand citizens so you're talking like one in 10 people and there's no one traveling to freiburg to to watch that team play like they're not getting huge amounts of away fans and you're not getting loads of fans from the nearby area because there's largely nothing in the nearby area so you're, you're getting one in 10 people from that place going along to the the football match every every weekend and i think as a result of that everyone in the city is invested in the football club as well so when when i was going around in the city and, and doing various things people were excited about the fact we were going and, and were interested in the team and and this was just sort of random people uh, like waiter or waitressing or shop shopkeepers people like that who were were genuinely interested in why two english people had come over to to come and see their sort of provincial team so yeah a real sense of that and then the place itself is just a really delightful medieval town with its little Bechler, the, uh, the the little streams that run around the city sort of open i want to say open sewers but that's, I think I think that's unfair. It's definitely not an open sewer, but they're sort of like drain drains which are filled with clean water. Now I hasten to add, um, the city still has sort of medieval gates around it. There's a really nice Munster which was fortunately spared during the bombings of World War Two, and then you have yeah the country nature around you. You have you know mountains around you. Um, you can go skiing in the area. You can go for walks in the Black Forest, and then there is the flatlands as well, out towards the the west as well, towards France and Switzerland as well. So you can you get the the wine 
growing region as well out there as well. So just just a really nice sort of mixture of human creation, but also nature itself, which which just made the place I think quite a rela- relaxing place. And we were we were quite lucky actually in that we had a really nice guide to show us around the the city in Dominic Wolfart, who is the brother of Stefan. Wolfhart, who you may remember being, he was, I think, originally a Freiburg player, but he never, I don't think he ever got a senior appearance for them, but ended up playing in Ross County in Scotland, scored a famous goal against Celtic in one of the games there. So his brother Dominic is a goalkeeper coach for the under-19s at Freiburg. So he showed us around, took us to all the good breweries as well, which was which was lovely. So yeah, just really fell in love with the place, really fell in love with the people. And um, I'm going to stop before I continue gushing anymore, because this is really not my, this is not my MO. Hey, you know, but... There might be promotional considerations for the Breisgau Tourist Board uh, at play. <laughs> you don't have to disclose that if you don't want to. Okay, so you, you've definitely sold me on on Freiburg, and and I, I do want to go. I have to be honest. I, I I feel bad that I missed the final, uh, you know, SC Freiburg senior men's appearance at the Stadion. That was basically my my the last like serious bucket list stadium, which you know I'll just go to a women's game. That's fine. But now. What is going on with SC Freiburg as a club? I was talking about this with Nick Wildhag and my, you know, co-podcaster at Talking Foosball uh, recently about the sort of general level of success that that club has had over the years. We don't need to necessarily go super far back, but even just in the last several years, this is a club that has basically the same sorts of resources, maybe even less than a lot of its peers of clubs like you know, FSV Mainz or FC Augsburg or any number of, of sort of smaller clubs from smaller towns that come up that just seem to lack something that Freiburg has, a lack a stability, lack a, a playing philosophy over, over years. What is it you think sort of gives those traits life at, at Freiburg? Because it's a club that doesn't seem to ever need to find its way. It's, it's, it's already on its way. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think if most people had heard me saying oh, I'd sort of semi-switched allegiances from Borussia Mönchengladbach to, to Freiburg, they wouldn't describe that as being a glory-supporting or plastic fandom. But it's very much become the case that in the last three, four years since I started following Freiburg as a, as a fan, they've really just had an upward trajectory. And I think so much of that is to do with the continuity. There's, there's a lot of continuity at Freiburg. There's obviously the overriding continuity of Christian Streich, the manager, who everyone wants to talk about when they talk about Freiburg. And I think he's like, he is the reason why they are where they are. I don't think they would be they would be in this sort of state of health had it not been for him. That's not to say that I don't think there aren't continuities elsewhere that are really useful as well. And obviously their youth system, their transfer policies, the ability for them to, to do sensible business dealings, even when it requires them to leave that, that stadium that everyone, again, gushes about because it is the, one of the most remarkable places I've ever watched football in my life. But there is just this underlying logic to everything that's done and the continuities that allow them to do that have, have meant that they have this this constant upward trajectory. And so I think there's I think there's quite a few different strings to that. We can talk about little tendrils coming out from, I think that the central point, which is Christian Streich made this possible and he's a real testament for if you can find the right manager and if you can keep him at your club, then you can have that that trajectory that allows you to to sort of maximise the, the the utility of, of the various things that actually give your club value. All right, you said it. When people talk about Freiburg, they want to talk about Christian Streich. <laughs> I want to talk about Christian Streich. He, I think, 
has endeared himself to not only fans in Germany, but friends across Europe, the world, for his sort of both outspoken ways, his um, both about football and about social issues, which, you know, makes makes him into something of a unique figure. But he is also a football coach. He is also someone who forms teams, who, who sets them up tactically, who um, you know, develops players. What's your, your take on what makes him as good at all of those things as he is? How, how is he sort of taking the nature of the club into account and sort of turning that into a playing philosophy and, and team building philosophy that just works hand in glove? There's a lot of different elements to it. And I think the fact that he can balance off a lot of these elements goes to explain why he's so good at what it is that he does. So on the one hand, I think he is remarkable in that he seems to have a sense of being the Freiburg coach, that being a sense of his calling or something like that being what it is that he can do and he can do best in this world. And as a result of that then, not necessarily having some of the holdups that you might have where you are coached somewhere else, where I think there's always that that sense that you should be on an upward trajectory. If you manage well at Freiburg, you deserve the chance to manage further up the, the ladder, right? And we know that there have been links with him to lots of other clubs, and I think even rumours about him being approached by Bayern at, at one point. But I think the, the very fact that he recognises that and you know, there was a great quote that he gave, very Heideggerian quote, actually. After the Dreisamstadion move, we saw all the, the really moving scenes of, of that last game of the season at the, the Dreisam, where, where you saw Streich out on, on, on the pitch in, in tears. And, you know, it's been the reality that he's been in that capacity as, as a coach at some level for around 30 years. So he's been he's been at the club forever. It, it, it is where he's meant to be. But he, he talks about the sense that, you know, there always there always has to be a sense of loss. Whenever we move on to do something else, there has to be that sense of, of loss. And there will be that sense of loss moving from the Dreisam Stadium to the new Europa Park Stadium, um, which which is, is out on the other side of the city. But I think that, that really says something about him as as an individual that he recognizes that for all of the gain that you can have for moving up the footballing pyramid with other clubs there would be that sense of loss and I think for him he recognizes that that loss I don't think would be outweighed by the the pros that he might get from doing that and so that I think is maybe the underlying thing that that makes him unique in football that there aren't many managers playing at that sort of level or, or managing at that sort of level who are able to be quite so circumspect about their place within the grand scheme of things. And I think, you know, as a result of that, he can do certain things. You, you mentioned before, the club is a, a club that is very good at managing transfers and they're happy to let players go when they feel as though they can get value for them, even if that is after a, a season. So we saw Baptiste Santa Maria moving from the club this summer after having moved in last summer. Now, there was obviously some kind of personal issue there, I think. Uh, Baptiste Santa Maria wanted to move back to France where he'd, he'd moved from and the club were happy to let him go because they had another player lined up in, in, in being able to replace him. And if in, in many cases, I think most coaches wouldn't be happy with arguably one of the star players that they signed coming in one season and then moving out the next. But Christian Streich is able to 
deal with that. He's able to allow players to, to move in and out. I, I mentioned before the, the first game that I went to see, uh, Chalos Thuanchu and, and Mark Oliver Kempf were both playing in that back line. Since then, they both moved on to bigger and, and arguably better things. There's also been other centre-backs as well. Robin Koch was playing in central midfield that day. He's moved on to Leeds as well. There's a litany of players who've moved on from Freiburg and been able to do that because the club has this healthy, I think, attitude to um, recognising that they aren't going to be able to keep these players longer than, than they, they, they can necessarily. And they will let those those players move on for money and then they will invest that money in players who then become valuable as well and the, and the whole thing goes around. So it will, it's a little surprise that Freiburg have, have a net positive transfer spend over the last five seasons. That, again, I don't think you could do with a manager who wasn't able to admit, admit that this was just the reality of how things are at Freiburg. And so, Christian Streich is is able to do that as well. So I think all of this sort of comes down to the fact that he does feel quite different to a lot of other managers in that I think he isn't maybe so caught up in his own in his own sense of importance despite the fact that he is probably the most important cog in this whole machinery but it's hard talking about Streich because I really want to give a sense of him being important without just sort of falling into cliches and stuff and for me like so much of, of what it is that, that is great about him just comes from his thoughtfulness the fact that he considers things into a, to a great depth and to a great degree and is able to articulate those and I think so much of that comes from the fact he's able to recognise his place in the world and, and, and just inhabit that world comfortably which I think is a really rare talent for anyone in football to have. Yeah, yeah self-awareness, like genuine deep self-awareness is, is yeah, short supply in, in the world of football I think. a little bit about how it is you sort of mentioned Streich's ability to sort of make up for whatever losses they might experience or, or you don't want to talk about it as a loss because you know they get paid good money to sell people like Baptiste Santoria but it's a loss for him as a team builder as a tactician as a, as a coach what is it about this sort of endless cycle of you know buy low sell high which works very well for Freiburg and a lot of coaches tend to melt under that sort of a situation. They, they get very dependent on players. They come across a star who, you know, scores a ton of goals for them. And then when, when he leaves, it all sort of falls apart. And that does not ever happen at Freiburg under Streich. It seems to have sort of a plug and play, uh, quality in terms of, of what he has on hand and just sort of making a few tactical tweaks and, and making it work. Like, what is his basic sort of spiel idee? What's his basic idea of football? And why is it so flexible in terms of, of working with whatever he has at hand? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm not entirely sure I know the answer to it, really. But I mean, I mean even just comparing the team selections from this season versus last season, like last season, uh, Ermedin Demirovic, the, the striker they brought in, performed really, really well. And, you know, I, I, I thought was a big part of why uh, the team last season finished so strongly. This season, we've not seen him start a game, I don't think. And it's been uh, a case of uh, rotating players like Lukas Hurler and uh, Wu Yong Jong, players like that in, in his place. And I think the, the capacity for Streich to be 
flexible is remarkable. Even formation-wise this season, he's, he's happy to sort of shift between formations across games. He's happy to drop players if he thinks that he's not getting enough out of them. And I mentioned Wu Young Jong, who's one of my favourite players at the club, but because he is quite unique in, in a lot of respects. But last season, he went through a few phases of uh, fits and starts where he would have a, a decent run and then he would perform not optimally in one game and that was it. He was he was out as well. So yeah, the, the capacity for him to be flexible is, is I think, a big part of it I think that's what the question is pointing at why why it is that he is so happy being that kind of uh, manager I don't know I, I suspect perhaps because he's been at this club for a long time that he's worked at most of the levels of youth uh, and, and development for the for the club as well. So I think he just recognises the, the the fact that football. I think is very easy to fall into ways of thinking that that sort of rely on notions of intrinsicism. So the the idea that a player is a good player or a bad player, and not as much acceptance is necessarily given to you know what you can do with those players within a system and how the system can bring out more from your your players than the sum of their parts and I think Christian Strike is just really good at, at, at judging that that sort of thing I think he's a system manager I think he probably tends towards the the more defensive side uh, which sometimes frustrates me because I think that with the squad he's got and particularly this season, you know, I think he's got a good chance of, of finishing high up the table because because there are teams that can be, be got after and some of the bigger teams are, are maybe not quite firing as, as uh, at the level that you might expect of them. So, yeah, I think that, that you know, you have to take the good with, with the bad or the bad with the good. I, I don't know which way around you, you would say that. But the, the idea that for me, like frustration that they, that they maybe don't get after, I mean, Bielefeld more in the opening game is also the reason why they can hang on long enough to, to scrape a 2-1 win against Borussia Dortmund. And and so, you know, I suppose it's a question, again, of just knowing your level and just him being happy to play to that level. And no doubt there will come a point if, if this upward trajectory continues where those bigger questions need to be asked, like to what extent do you need to start being more gregarious in your attacking when you when you are sort of pushing for, for places in Europe, perhaps. But I think he's just happy to develop this sort of strong defensive football where where he's got a really good defensive unit he's a really really strong mid mid block press uh, and then the the sort of expansive players then to to be able to sort of attack in small numbers and, and try and pick off oppositions at certain points as well and it and it works out well and and I, I think you know that's the that's where the the proof of the pudding is right in the eating and and he's happy in allowing players to move on in allowing to you know flexibility if a, if a particular formation doesn't work for a bit he will just usually change it up and try something different um, I think it, it all just comes from that long that long tradition of just trusting in the, the process and, and, and being given, I guess, being given the, the space to fail as well, right? Freiburg dropped down into the Zweite Bundesliga for a bit and they kept Streich and allowed him to do what he does. And, and, and there's no danger, I don't think, that he will ever be out of a job because of them. So I think that probably gives him a sense of the ability to be more flexible as well. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you bring up that um, relegation that uh, Streich suffered in, in his tenure. I think that that actually plays a huge role in the way that he goes about his job and plays a, a huge role in the ways that, that the players view him as someone who's, you know, who's, whose presence there is not contingent. Is <laughs> just, you know, if you're at Freiburg, you're going to be coached by Streich. Streich is the guy with all the ideas. And luckily enough, there seem to be a lot of guys who really buy into that. I mean, we've seen players, you know, journeyman players, players who have played at, you know, four, five, six clubs before coming to Freiburg, like Nils Peterson, suddenly finding a whole new 
vein of form. We've seen guys like uh, Vincenzo Grifo, who sort of came up there, left, didn't do so well, came back. Now he's good again. I think that the word is out among players that Freiburg not only is a nice place to live, <laughs> it's a nice low pressure place to play, but you're in safe hands. You know, you, you've got both people in charge of the club and in charge of the playing staff, i.e. Streich, that like give you a platform to succeed. It's, I think, rarer than you might think in, in football uh, situations that are that good. Um, I want to sort of switch gears a little bit and talk about this new stadium issue and what it means for the club. You know, as you mentioned, the Dreisam Stadium was very sort of synonymous with the club. It was a place that I think a lot of away fans really enjoyed going to because it had quite an atmosphere. It was very old school. That's uh, that's now the past. They're they're not going to play there anymore. They already played their first game. The first game was a friendly against uh, FC St. Pauli. It was, a, you know, a rousing 3-0 win for uh, Freiburg for what that's worth. But yeah, the Europa Park Stadion, which, you know, I, I think already I've seen a, a banner from some fans saying that they're against the uh, the, the sponsor naming. Well, I guess they would be. It's a different deal. I mean, it's it's a larger stadium. It is a stadium that has a lot more sort of VIP business luxury, um, you know, packages on sale. I don't know how much each match day is going to make them more than they made at the Dreisam Stadium, but I'm sure it's quite significant. There's a reason why they built the stadium. Do you think there's any temptation for this club to change its philosophy in terms of who they buy and sell, in terms of the wages they pay? Do you think it might change the expectations among players who are there or who would want to come there, seeing that this is a club maybe that has more resources? I mean, do you think that this move to a bigger, nicer stadium has any, you know, risk or, or you know, a chance of, of changing things for the club built in? Yeah, I mean, as a, as a fan of Premier League football, my mind always immediately jumps to Spurs and Arsenal, like two clubs who built big stadiums and are now sort of falling away from that the, the top areas of the of the league. Whether or not that will happen for, for Freiburg is well outside my, my remit, I suppose. But I guess there's a few things. I mean, on the one hand, yes, of course there's a risk. There's there's always risk when this sort of thing happens. Interestingly, you mentioned the, the game against St. Pauli a game which was won comfortably, but a game in which the pitch was tearing up really badly. Immediately, I think the, the club have come out and said they need to replace the pitch. Now, again, to, to fall back on my Premier League experience, I'm a, a Leeds fan and last season we had to relay our pitch midway through the season because it got so bad it, it sort of impacted us negatively and it would be very disappointing if in a season where Freiburg look as though they are really going to cement their place in the top half of the table that that could fall away because of something as as inane as a as a pitch that wasn't bedding in properly but so that that's just a, a nice example of you know one of the levels of risk that is involved there's there's lots of other things with the stadium as well it's on the other side of town so there's there's various like noise quota limits that that have to be adhered to i think there's some rules about evening games that can't be broken and there's very very specific aspects to that as well which just again makes i, I suppose if you're feeling negative about moving out of an iconic stadium those sorts of things just sort of make you question whether or not there was any point in doing this in the first place but I, I do think that you, you sort of have to take the upside as well as the downside and and the, as you've said the argument will be that it will 
it will allow Freiburg to do something slightly differently. And I think given that the club have had the upward trajectory they've had in the last five seasons, you can't just simply remain static, can't remain stagnant. You have to think about ways that you can do what you're doing uh, better. And and for them, one of the, the ways of doing that was, was building a better stadium. And I think... Look, so much of of what Freiburg is about, as we've said, is about player turnover and getting that right. But as you've said, there's also a huge risk with that. Um, Just because you've you've developed players in the past doesn't mean to say that's always going to happen. You can't always rely on those sort of things working out. And so I think for them, this is probably a, a way of offering some kind of buffer there. So a little bit of a financial buffer so that, you know, if you do get one of those transfers wrong and it doesn't work out, then rather than, you know, in a couple of seasons having a team of players who you don't have the capacity to move on for profit, um, you can still at least fall back on another revenue stream, which will be which will be an increase in ticket prices, which is very, you know, look, it's a very negative way of talking about a team, which for most people is, is meaningful way beyond the balance sheet. But, I, you know, for me, the reason why I love Freiburg is a lot to do with the fact that they are prepared they do things sensibly and they are a club who you will never get frustrated at by the decisions that are made at the level of the board and the manager which is definitely not the case for for my fandom as a, as a Leeds fan at the moment so for, for me I, I don't know what other people would think about this because I'm very much someone who look I work in the analytics industry I like smart recruitment I like the idea that a club has a sensible approach and you can have these sort of players that you you love when they play for you and they move on somewhere else and you can track their trajectory elsewhere but that's not for a lot of people I think a lot of people don't care as long as there's good football being played or whatever but I think that yeah the important thing to take away from from all this is that this is the club's way of being able to protect the stuff that the fans enjoy most sensibly by by investing their money and hopefully it will work out as a result of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the early indications. I think there was actually a uh, like a a general meeting uh, of Freiburg uh, a couple of days ago, in which um, one of their their sort of finance chiefs or what have you said that they made money despite the fact that um, they built a whole new stadium that they have been dealing with uh, Corona problems as far as the number of fans that have been let into the the stadium that they are actually in the black, which. I think shocked a lot of people because as you said, you know, with, with the, the, the cautionary tales of clubs like Arsenal and Spurs, uh, building a new stadium can, can, can cause problems. But, you know, I guess, I guess all those new marketing opportunities with the new stadium have, have paid off a little bit. I guess I want to end asking you a little bit about, you mentioned you, you work in, in the analytics industry. I wouldn't mind hearing a bit about what it is that you're up to, because I think folks who hear this might think, oh, well, this is an interesting guy. What, what is it he, he does in his, his, his real world occupation, et cetera? And also, like, is you as someone who, who works for a group that has a public-facing aspect but also has a sort of a club-facing advisory aspect, in a lot of ways, is, is, is what Analytics FC and, and other similar groups doing, like, trying to get more clubs to act more like Freiburg? <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. So to sort of contextualize my answer to, to that final question, uh, I'm currently working as the head of content for Analytics FC. Analytics FC is a football data company who offers a number of different tools and services that just allow clubs to be smarter in the way that they, that they uh, operate and their, in, and, and their processes run. So one of the things we do is we have, and, and our original sort of 
platform was Transfer Lab, which is um, essentially a, a, a platform which is available. It's a tool that's available to football clubs who are able to use it as part of their scouting. Um, so looking for player players to bring in in recruitment. Um, essentially, we just take the raw data from Y Scout. We run it through a, a fancy fancy algorithm that we've we've developed, um, which is a Markov chain model for anyone who is interested in the nerd end of that. Um, and it essentially allows us to start interpreting the data a little bit more beyond the, the raw data. So if you've got two players who are doing 10 dribbles in a game, how do you distinguish between which one of those is better than the other? Well, our model is now going to interpret that and, and look at the players who are off adding more value to the team in terms of the goal difference that, that they add. And so you can say, actually, this player's done 10 dribbles, but if it's added, this, this player has added more goal difference to their team than this other player. So it might indicate that this player's doing something a little bit more for, for the team. That's the basis from which we work from. But we're adding more and more services and, and tools all the time. We've just announced a coach ID service, which essentially is trying to move player recruitment approaches into the, the coaching side of things. So why is it that we spend so long with have full departments working on um, player recruitment when we don't necessarily even consider the same thing for head coaches? So we've we've got a, a new guy on board who is going to be running that side of things. So you can basically get in touch and they will and we will offer this service where we will help you monitor coaches all the time. So even when you're happy with your coach, you still got some kind of succession plan in place. It breaks down coaches down sort of stylistic lines so you can see the sorts of coaches that you that might be similar to the coach that you've already got maybe if you're looking for for other things we can track sort of tendencies so if a, if, if, if a manager likes a low block uh, uh, you can track that through time and see if they increase the amount that they will use that sort of tactical approach or you might see um, interesting fallaways so yeah I was just looking the other day at Marcelo Bielsa just to see his time at Leeds and some of the tendencies that have happened there so interesting to see crossing became really big towards the end of our of our championship stint and then dropped off a lot last season so things like that where you can see the, the, the stylistic tendencies changing as, as the team uh, develops so plenty of plenty of ways of, of doing that as well we also do a bespoke services for for players and so you might have seen that Kevin De Bruyne was renegotiating a contract with Manchester City he approached us and asked us for some help to to, to sort of really achieve the, the the goals that he wants with his career for him that was namely winning the Champions League so he wanted to show to Manchester City the value that he that he has um, in that regard we can run models which show what impact he would have at other clubs we can run models to show his impact pound for pound compared to other players at big Champions League sides as well and as a result of that we were able to convince Manchester City that he needed to he was worthy of a, of a boost in his salary and we did Hector Bellerin as well Hector Bellerin was interesting because for, for Hector the big thing was not money at all, really. He was really interested in returning to the Spanish national team. So he his big thing was, like, which team can I work play for which will suit me, but also will increase my chances of, of playing for the Spanish national team. So we built a model for that as well, and we were able to uh, able to help him find, find a place at Real Betis off the back of that as well. So loads of other things that we're doing. We have, like, a, a virtual scouting um, service as well for, for smaller clubs so, so we can help them with their with their scouting and we can create reports for them for certain players. Uh, we also even run an acquisition service at the moment which helps potential owners or investors to buy a football club if they want. Uh, we can help them do the due diligence on that. So all of these things, yeah, boiling down to the fact that we think that using data can help make your club smarter uh, and, and make better decisions. And so, yeah, in answer to your question... 
yeah, I do think these sorts of things are, are, are important. With Freiburg, I don't think they'll be using perhaps the data side of things to the extent that we are at Analytics FC. But they're definitely, they definitely have like game models. They definitely have financial models, which, which allow them to do the same sorts of things that we're, that we're promoting in, in our industry side of things as well. So the other thing to say about Freiburg is their recruitment is really good. Like they bring in players from all over and they almost always work out so I mean someone like Roland Chaloy from brought in from I think the Cypriot leagues um, out of nowhere and, and him him working out well we talked about Baptiste Santa Maria already coming from France and, and, and fitting in and, and then him leaving within a year and then making profit on that as well just really really impressive recruitment that, that always pays off so yeah if, if, if we can be involved in making other clubs like that then I think it's probably for the better spectacular alright uh, I'm glad to hear a, a little bit more about what you're up to and, and to hear more about your uh connection to SA Freiburg. John McKenzie, thanks so much for coming on Talking Foosball. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. All right. That's all for this edition of Talking Foosball Extra. It was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. I'm Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. You can find me there if you'd like. And uh, even though I spelled out his uh, Twitter handle at the beginning of the show, I'm just going to say it one more time. At John underscore McKenzie is where you can find our guest from today. Uh, the show will be back talking foosball fantasy at the end of the week to get you ready for the resumption of play in the Bundesliga. If you can't wait that long, you can always head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash talking foosball, where you'll find a couple of new episodes in recent weeks as well as lots and lots of historical content, which, uh, you know, is still very much in play. Head over there, enjoy, see if you might want to shift a few bucks our way. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.